So we're here to talk about today about the Abrahamic Covenant. And as Reformed Baptists, we understand the concept of covenant theology to mean at least this. Number one, we can say there's ultimately one great overarching covenant in the plan and purposes of God. And uh, who knows what the name of that covenant is. The original first covenant. Covenant of redemption. And who was it made between? Father and the Son. Father and the Son. There you go. Evan's got my notes back there. No. <laughs> He's been listening. <laughs> He's been listening. So, Evan, I will not have to use this on you because you've been listening. That's good. <laughs> okay. Thank you. Okay. So, it is. Before time began, and that's an impossible thing for us to think about, but um, uh, obviously, if you don't believe in the doctrine of election, you wouldn't believe that. You couldn't believe in the covenant redemption unless you believed in the doctrine of election. But Father and Son before time, and of course the Holy Spirit's involved too by applying uh, to the hearts of the elect uh, the redemption purchased by Christ and the election of the Father. So this is what we're talking about in covenant theology. That's the overarching emphasis of it all. It comes to us in progressive forms. Now it comes to us in promises and in covenants. Uh, Adam had a covenant. Was it a covenant of grace that came to Adam as he was first made? As he was first created in the Garden of Eden. Only Adam, only Eve. Covenant of works. A covenant of works will always say, do this and live, do that and die. Okay, that's what a covenant of works is. And what we're going to see as we go through the covenants is um, some of them have the doctrine of the covenant of grace within them, which is salvation by faith alone in Christ. And then some of them uh, have an aspect of being a dual covenant. That's what we're going to be looking at here in the Abrahamic covenant. Um, you don't need to read it yet. You probably can't read it. Uh, Pastor Ken, your writing could use a little help. But <laughs> no, no, I wrote it, no, not Pastor Ken. Um, you know, if you're watching on TV, you'll see it a lot better than you probably can where you're sitting. But I'm going to point out to it. I'm going to tell you what they are. If you can't see it, it'll, it'll be okay. And I hope, as I was putting this lesson together, I mean, how many of you ever seen me use a whiteboard before? Yeah. Oh, you have? Oh, okay, a couple. A couple of people. You guys have been around a long time, though. You have to be around a long time. I don't use the whiteboard usually. Usually I do it on paper. But this was going to be very hard, very hard to do on paper. And so I decided to use the whiteboard. And I think it'll really make things clear to us. At least I hope it is. So, the first thing about covenant theology is the covenant of redemption. And then, by then, we go to Genesis 3.15. Uh, of course, the covenant of works, Adam. There's the fall. You need to have the fall before you can have redemption. So the fall takes place. And then the first promise comes. The first promise that we have of redemption, Genesis 3.15. The seed of the woman would uh, crush the seed uh, of the serpent. So the, the woman's seed would prevail. And we find, that, of course, that Jesus Christ is the seed of the woman. It takes uh, a, couple cent, a couple millennium for it to, to come to pass. But uh, it does come to pass. And so the covenant is revealed for the first time in Genesis 3.15 by promise. And is progressively revealed more and more as history unfolds. And the way of salvation by grace through faith is the only way that men and women and children can come to faith since the fall of Adam. 
See, with God, a promise is as good as a covenant. If God promises something, it will come to pass. You know, and so a promise is as good as a covenant with God. But he makes covenants with men. He's pleased to do that. And we're talking now specifically about um, the Abrahamic covenant and um, the importance of it. And it's very important. It's foundational. Um, it's controversial to some people. I'm not going to deal with the controversy. I'm going to try to teach you what I believe that it is. And uh, after we're through, we will take a chance, to, or we'll take some time to, to um, deal with the controversies involved, but probably not today. Let's go to the scriptures first. Turn to Genesis 12. This is by way of review. Genesis chapter 12, we see the promise come to Abraham. It's not a covenant yet, but it's a promise. As sure to happen as a covenant. I don't think I finished what a covenant is. Um, well, maybe I did. Okay. Yeah. I think we dealt with it pretty good. So, Genesis 12. Now the Lord had said to Abram, Get out of your country, from your family, and from your father's house, to a land that I will show you. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great, and you shall be a blessing. And we know that all that's true. Uh, we actually have seen it fulfilled. Uh, and then, uh, I will bless those who curse you, and I'll curse him who curses you. And then the Lord Jesus Christ is uh, at the very end here. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. It wouldn't be Abraham himself, but in him, through him, and in his seed, uh, the nations of the earth will be blessed. And that goes beyond Israel. That goes to the Lord Jesus Christ, the only Savior of sinners. And so... That's where we started. We've already dealt with that passage. Let's go to Genesis 15. Genesis 15, verses 1 through 6, we see the promise renewed after a time. Uh, nothing has happened. Abraham has no son. He has, uh, you know, and, and this is a problem, as you know. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision, saying, do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your exceeding great reward. But Abram said, Lord God, what will you give me, seeing I go childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus? Then Abram said, Look, you've given me no offspring. Indeed, one born in my house is my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, saying, This one shall not be your heir, but the one who comes from your own body shall be your heir. And then he took him outside and said, Look now toward the heaven and count the stars, if you are able to number them. And he said to him, So shall your descendants be. And we said that transcends. There's so many verses we're going to look at in the New Testament. Uh, in fact, it, it's interesting. Uh, one of those happy things that happens, you know. Um, we would have gone to Galatians 3 today. But it just so happens that Galatians 3 is our Bible reading today, which is a tremendous commentary on the Abrahamic covenant. So don't think it's an accident, but it's a, a nice thing. It wasn't planned that way, but it turned out that way. So for that, we're very happy. We'll, we'll deal with that at the 11 o'clock hour. We won't read it uh, at this hour. So there is um, the promise renewed in Genesis 15. 
Abram has to believe it by faith. And he does in verse 6. And he believed in the Lord and he accounted it to him for righteousness. One of the key verses in the Bible and one of the key verses of the New Testament. We see that repeated in the New Testament. And we're going to spend probably next week dealing with a lot of the New Testament passages about the Abrahamic covenant. And then we can move on to the Davidic covenant. Okay. So, with that being said and done, I'm going to throw an extra verse at you, Mark. Read through verse 21, if you would. Let's all go to Genesis 17. And Mark has um, willingly volunteered to be a reader for these 21 verses in Genesis chapter 17. And uh, let's look at that as we go. And um, if you read it, Mark, then I'll make a few comments on it. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am Almighty God, walk before me and be blameless. And I will make my covenant between me and you and will multiply you exceedingly. Then Abram fell on his face and God talked with him, saying, As for me, behold, my covenant is with you, and you shall be a father of many nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be called Abraham, for I have made you a father of many nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make make nations of you, and kings shall come from you. And I will establish my covenant between me and you and your descendants after you and their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and your descendants after you. Also, I give to you and your descendants after you the land in which you are a stranger, all the land of Canaan as an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. And God said to Abraham, As for you, you shall keep my covenant, you and your descendants after you throughout their generations. This is my covenant which you shall keep between me and you and your descendants after you. Every male child among you shall be circumcised. And you shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskins, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. He who is eight days old among you shall be circumcised, Every male child in your generations, he who is born in your house or brought with money from any foreigner who is not your descendant, he who is born in your house and he who is bought with your money must be circumcised, and my covenant shall be in your flesh for an everlasting covenant. And the uncircumcised male child who is not circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin That person shall be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant. Then God said to Abram, As for Sarah, your wife, you shall not call her name Sarai, but Sarah shall be her name. And I will bless her, and I also give you a son by her. Then I will bless her, and she shall be a mother of nations. Kings of people shall be from her. Then Abraham fell on his face and laughed and said in his heart, Shall a child be born to a man who is 100 years old? And shall Sarah, who is 90 years old, bear a child? And Abraham said to God, Oh, that Ishmael might live before you. 
Then God said, No, Sarah, your wife shall bear you a son, and you shall call his name Isaac. I will establish my covenant with him from an everlasting covenant and with his descendants after him. And as for Ishmael, I have heard you, behold, I have blessed him and will make him fruitful and will multiply him exceedingly. He shall begat twelve princes, I will make him a great nation. But my covenant I will establish with Isaac, whom Sarah shall bear to you at this set time next year. Okay. That's a lot. But there's a lot of great things in there. That's why I wanted it to be read. Uh, and the board is going to help us in just a moment to sort this all out. The Abrahamic covenant comes in two parts. Chapter 15, the rest of chapter 15 that we didn't read was the cutting of the covenant. And uh, more words were given about what's going to happen, that the nation that comes from Abraham was going to be in bondage for 400 years, which they were in Egypt, and that was all fulfilled. And uh, other, other promises were made along the way. Abraham and Sarah um, lost faith of the vision and um, the, the plan, which to this day still creates issues. The plan, go into Hagar, have a child by her. I can't have a child, but you still can. So the promise will be fulfilled through Hagar. And God says, no, it won't. That's the plan that you made. That's not my plan. You know, and you notice even in verse 18, Abraham says, oh, that Ishmael might live before you. He loved his son. He loved his son Ishmael. I mean, that was his son. But um, God says, no, I'm making my covenant with Isaac instead. It'll be from you and Sarah, you know. And of course, Ishmael, Isaac uh, didn't get along so good, as you know from reading later. Uh, they still don't get along so good, the, the two nations that uh, are there. But um, this is the promises made to Abraham. And so he was a man of faith, but that doesn't mean faith doesn't waver. Faith sometimes does waver. And his faith wavered. Sarah's faith wavered. Sarah very much regretted what she did. But uh, you can't undo it. You know, what, you did, what they did, they did. And it happened in God's providence too. So, the Abrahamic covenant, here we go. It was Genesis 12, Genesis 15, Genesis 17. Those are the key places that we find it. The Abrahamic covenant right there. And it consists of four things. We could even add a little bit more, but I'm trying to keep it as simple as I can. Consists of land. Okay. Consists of nation, nations. Okay. And it consists of king or kings. And then there's a purpose to it. So we're going to work our way right through here uh, about that, starting with land. Land is promised to him. Remember Abraham uh, walks through the land of Canaan without owning a single piece of it until his wife Sarah dies. And then he buys a graveyard to bury his dead. Okay. And Canaan land is promised uh, to his seed. That's a physical promise of a physical land. And we call it the promised land still, to this very day, it was promised to him. And, uh, of course, the Jews uh, very much covet that land and uh, believe that God is with them because they're in the land, which isn't true. God is not with them unless they believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, the, the Lord that um, so many of them long ago rejected. 
uh, but, but many believed. And the church, of course, ended up being made up of Jew and Gentile alike. Uh, very important aspect of it. And uh, we actually see signs of that in verse number 4 of 17. As for me, my, behold, my covenant is with you, and you shall be a father of many nations. Obviously, in the context here, <coughs> we find out it's going to be Ishmael and um, also Isaac. But... Um, we spiritually know that out of every nation, tongue, kindred, and tribe are those that are Abraham's children because he's the father of the faithful. Okay, so that's what we have. So there's a physical promise, the promised land, and there's a spiritual promise of a new covenant embedded in that. The bride, also known as New Jerusalem, Revelation 21. We'll be looking at that tonight. Uh, when we're in Revelation 21. We'll deal with the first eight verses of Revelation 21. Uh, I was going to finish uh, 21 and 22 quickly. Now I'm not finishing them quickly. <laughs> okay, probably end up moving them into uh, this time slot eventually, but we'll see how that goes. But um, there's a lot there. When we're in Revelation 21, we're recapping the book, basically. And so the, new, the bride of Christ, that's the new Jerusalem, which is the church of the living God in Revelation 21. Now, as far as nation, okay, land. Let me say a few things about land that, that people don't know, you know. Um, you can write these verses down and, and look at them later. I'll just read them to you. But if you want to have a reference point for later, uh, there's three verses that I read that are, that are really uh, pertinent to the land. Uh, as you know from Pastor Ken's study, uh, as we started out in the book of Judges, one of the things that happened is that the angel of the Lord came and said, I'm not going to drive out the heathen anymore. They're going to be thorns in your side. They're going to be problems to you. You know, you're going to go after their gods. You know, there's going to be all kinds of, of issues because you would not obey me. That was the covenant of works part. The land is part of the covenant of works. You, you mess it up and you'll lose it. Now it talks about here, it says, well, it's an everlasting covenant. You know, the land's an everlasting covenant. And people really cling on to that. So, in other words, God has covenant promises that extend to lost people that reject his son, Jesus Christ the Lord. That doesn't make any sense. But there's a, a better answer to that, and it's in covenant theology. And what we have is Abraham, the father of the faithful, and we're going to be looking at many verses, maybe this week, probably next week, time's moving on us, but um, that um, the, the physical promises were fulfilled by God. He fulfilled his promises that he gave to them, and uh, now even greater promises exist for Jew and Gentile alike. Not just a land over there that people fight over all the time, but a heavenly kingdom, you know. Uh, Abraham looked for that heavenly kingdom. Abraham wanted that heavenly kingdom. You know, he wa wandered through Canaan and looked for a better land, according to Hebrews 11. Okay, but here's three verses for you, taken from Joshua 21:45. The Bible says, "Not a word failed of any good thing which the Lord had spoken to the house of Israel; all came to pass." Here's another one. Joshua 23, 14. Behold, this day I'm going the way of all the earth, Joshua says, 
And you know in all your hearts and in all your souls that not one thing has failed of all the good things which the Lord your God spoke concerning you. All have come to pass for you. Not one word of them has failed. And, and during the time of Joshua and those that lived after, the generation that lived after him, uh, Israel was obedient. And they were slowly eradicating uh, the Canaanites like they were supposed to do and taking the land. But they started slipping. They started worshiping the gods of the Canaanites. Uh, they started uh, intermarrying with the Canaanites and uh, losing their identity that way. And the angel of the Lord comes to them in, in, uh, in uh, Judges 2 and says, that's it. I'm not going to drive them out now. Now you're going to live amongst them. You know? But God did exactly what he said he was going to do. He gave them Canaan land. And had they obeyed, they would have won it totally. They wanted enough to live there, but they didn't win it totally. Now, in the time of Solomon, um, Israel expanded their borders tremendously. And Solomon says in 1 Kings 8, verse 56, that's the last verse, 1 Kings 8, 56, Blessed be the Lord who has given rest to his people Israel according to all that he promised. There has not failed one word of all his good promises which he promised through his servant Moses. Of course, we'll be talking about the Mosaic Covenant there too. But uh, in the time of Solomon, they didn't eradicate all the Canaanites, but they subjected all of them and they expanded their borders. And that was very short-lived, you know, uh, within 20 years of, of Solomon's reign, things started falling apart. So that's why we said earlier uh, that uh, Israel's brightest glory lasts for about 40 years. 20 years of David's time, and some of that was pretty rough uh, because of David's sin. And then 20 years of Solomon's reign, and then things start really falling apart because of Solomon's sin. Okay. So the spiritual aspects are unconditional. And how do we know that? You know, well, the place where the dead and the Lord go was called Abraham's bosom before the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, the resting place of, of the saints until the time of heaven and finally the eternal state uh, is um, where the faithful go, those that are part of Abraham. I think we'd better look at, at uh, Romans chapter 4. I'm not going to try to prove every point on the board here, but this is one that is debatable with people. They just don't see it. Romans chapter 4. Let's see if I can find the, the verse very quickly. It's going to be a little later in the, the lesson. Verses 9 through 12. Romans 4, 9 through 12. And, and, uh, and Galatians 3 will tell us the same thing. Does this blessedness, Romans 4, 9. Does this blessedness then come upon the circumcised only or upon the uncircumcised also? For we say that faith was accounted to Abraham for righteousness. How was it then accounted? While he was circumcised or uncircumcised? And then Paul answers his own question. Not while circumcised, but while uncircumcised. And he received the sign of circumcision, a seal of the righteousness of the faith which he had while still uncircumcised, that he might be the father of all who believe, though they are uncircumcised, 
that righteousness might be imputed to them also, and the father of circumcision to those who not only are of the circumcision, but who also walk in the steps of the faith which our father Abraham had while still uncircumcised. So, for the promise that he would be heir of the world was not to Abraham or to his seed through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. And it goes on, we can keep on reading. But uh, that's important to realize that um, the, the Jews, which are so excited about Father Abraham, really wasn't their father except um, physically unless they believed God. John the Baptist told them that. John the Baptist said, you, you say you're Abraham's children? God's able to raise up stones to Abraham for children. You know? And of course, so they trusted so much in circumcision, and circumcision was right, and circumcision was good for the time, and it was the sign of the covenant. And did you notice that if there's anybody that is uncircumcised, they broke, they broke the covenant and they're cut off from the covenant? That's the covenant of works aspect of the Abrahamic covenant. But before that takes place, there is the covenant of grace in Abraham, the righteousness of God, which comes by faith alone. Okay, so that's what we're talking about, spiritual promises. There's a physical promise, there's a spiritual promise. And we'll see that in all of these here. The spiritual promise of the new covenant is there in Abraham, and it's by faith alone. Okay, Martin Luther discovered that great truth, um, rediscovered it. it. It had almost been lost, although some always knew it. Okay. Now nations. There's going to be a nation that comes from Abraham, and that's where we usually will focus, and rightfully so, because that's where the promises come through. But he also promises nations uh, through, well, for one thing, Ishmael. Many nations, because there are others too. So we have um, Israel. That's the physical manifestation of the promise. And it will come through Isaac. It will come through Jacob. Uh, who is named Israel. And then circumcision is the seal of the Abrahamic covenant in that respect. And uh, there'll be verses we can look at that will prove that to be the case. Circumcision becomes the seal. Covenants need a seal. And uh, so what we find in, when we put Genesis 15 and 17 together is where the covenant takes place. Abraham believed God before the covenant he believed the promise before the covenant. The covenant is made. The covenant is made again and expanded and circumcision is added as the seal. So we actually can see two parts to the Abrahamic covenant itself. Okay. So circumcision becomes the key. But we don't circumcise people today. Or if you do, it's a medical procedure. Circumcision of the heart is what we have today. Circumcision of the heart. And you know what? That's the way it was in the Old Testament too. Circumcision of the heart was the real issue of, uh, of belief or unbelief. You could be in, in the physical covenant simply by being circumcised. Absolutely you could. But the father of the faithful, you know, Jew and Gentile alike uh, brought together in the church is the spiritual aspect of the Abrahamic covenant. And we just read that. That's Paul's argument here. And believe me, in the first century, that was highly controversial. You know, in fact, remember in Acts 15, where the, the Judaizers came up, 
It doesn't say the Judaizers weren't Christians, but they believed in circumcision so much that they were saying, no, these Gentiles, they have to be circumcised. If they're not circumcised after the manner of Moses, you cannot be saved. That was their argument. And of course, Paul and, and uh, the other, they, they, well, they convened a, a council in Acts 15 to decide the issue once and for all. And they said, no, that's not what the scriptures teach. Scriptures don't teach that circumcision is what saves us. Okay. And so uh, that, that error was stamped out quickly, thankfully. But that error persisted amongst the unbelieving Jews. And uh, circumcision became to them salvation. I'm not talking about pedobaptism in this thing. And I don't believe pedobaptism is the, is the replacement for circumcision. Pedobaptism is infant baptism. Many of our friends practice infant baptism. No, circumcision, it wasn't old circumcision in the Old Testament, baptism in the New Testament. That may be true according to positive law, but it isn't that one replaces the other. What it is is circumcision of the heart literally replaces a circumcision there to tell the people of God. The people of God, Old Testament, New Testament, were circumcised in heart by the Holy Spirit. And of course, Jew and Gentile should Anybody that is uh, anti-Semitic is engaged in, in evil sin. You should never be anti-Semitic. The Lord Jesus Christ was Jewish. I mean, that is just ridiculous to think about being anti-Semitic. But uh, no, Jew and Gentile together in the church. A lot of Jews didn't like that at the beginning, that Gentiles were being brought in. Uh, unfortunately, uh, now it's kind of reversed itself. Um, and... Uh, there are, there are people that are anti-Semitic, and uh, they've suffered for years because of that. Um, but uh, that's, that's what happens there. We could say a lot of things about that. But um, when a Jew is circumcised in heart, he's a true Jew indeed. Okay? And it really doesn't matter what nation you come from. Doesn't matter what, what nation you come from. Doesn't matter what color you are. Doesn't matter what your ethnicity is. The gospel is for the world for the entire world. Okay. You know, at the very beginning of, of certain missions groups, uh, in the beginning of this century, sometimes the missionaries went to places like Africa or other places trying to turn people into Americans. You don't, you don't get saved by becoming an American. Okay. The gospel is for every culture, for every country, every people, every tongue. That's why it's so important that the Bible be translated into every language. Okay. Now, the next one, kings. He's promised that kings would come from him. And there's 12 princes uh, that come from Ishmael. Okay. So many kings. But we're going to now start zeroing in on Israel. And Israel finally gets a king, a little prematurely. So they have to live through Saul in his reign. But there was a king that was already waiting and preparing, and it was David. David the king. And of course, to David in 1 Samuel 7, we will look at that when, second, we'll look at that when we get there, um, is the, the Davidic covenant. Davidic covenant, very important, just like the Abrahamic covenant is. It's another progression 
in what's happening. He's promised to have a seed. He's promised to have a continuing line. He's actually promised uh, to have a line that will never end. Except in the Babylonian captivity, it seems like it ends. And you think it's gone. But it's not gone. You know, it's kind of in hibernation a little bit because of the sins of the people. Because the fulfillment spiritually of the Davidic covenant is through Jesus Christ, the Lord, King of kings and Lord of lords for all eternity. You know, and David has a son ruling and reigning the universe that uh, will never die, will never give up his kingship, and will be king forever. The promise comes true exactly like God said it would. You know, so the kings that came from David, some of them were good, some of them were bad, some of them led the people the right way, some of them led the people the wrong way, and uh, you know, and, and let me just make a little comment about that. We shouldn't be those that are easily swayed by our leaders, you know. Um, we should actually be God worshipers, no matter what our leaders are trying to cause us to believe or think. That's just the truth. It's always been that way. And the nation always suffered uh, when the leaders were bad. You know, well, we shouldn't be swayed like that. We should be, we should be standing strong at all times. So it's a little shocking to me, uh, just as an aside here, that um, in our own city of Ontario, which has generally done pretty good, we've had a good city council, at least I believe they've been a good city council, and uh, been fairly conservative and, and doing the things that are right, but they finally decided to, to have a gay pride event on Euclid Avenue. So that'll be coming up in a couple Saturdays from now. I was very surprised to hear that, very sad to hear that. I don't want to see this kind of thing um, befall our, our city, the city that I love and have lived in for 40 years. But um, this is what's happened. They, they okayed it. And uh, I would just avoid Euclid Avenue. Uh, not this Saturday, but next Saturday if I were you. It's going to be a, a gay pride uh, event with, with transgenders and all kinds of things and the, the rainbow flag and all those things that go with that. Okay. Well, there you go. It's affected us now, even in our own city. So, anyway. Don't follow the kings. Follow the king. Okay. And the purpose of all of this, the reason there is an Abrahamic covenant, the reason it exists is uh, to form the nation which would have the Mosaic covenant and the Davidic covenant and the new covenant. To bring in the new covenant by Jesus Christ the Lord. So there's the overview of what the Abrahamic covenant is all about. And that's what it is. And so that's why I wanted to, to show it to you that way. I think it makes it a, a little more understandable to see that there's divisions in the covenant, but there's one overarching purpose. And of course, that purpose has been achieved by the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, got a little bit of time left here, so let's see what we can do. Um, You did notice, didn't you, I, I think I said it, but if I didn't, it needs to be said now, is that Abraham received the promise of the covenant in Genesis 15 while he was uncircumcised. If circumcision is absolutely necessary for salvation, how, how, could, he be, 
How could he be the father uh, of the faithful? Well, it's because circumcision was the sign of the nation. Israel wasn't the only nation that practiced circumcision, but they're the only nation that practiced circumcision under the proper covenant, the Abrahamic covenant there. And so, that's it. Okay. Romans 2.29. Go ahead and turn there. Romans 2.29. It's just one verse, but it's very important. You know. And verse 28 is where we should go back to. Romans 2.28. For he is not a Jew who is one outwardly, nor is circumcision that which is outward in the flesh. But he is a Jew who is one inwardly, and circumcision is that of the heart, in the spirit, not in the letter, whose praise is not from men, but from God. Okay. So this has to do with the Abrahamic covenant, which includes circumcision. You know, those that thought you cannot be saved without circumcision, I found out that uh, circumcision doesn't save you. You know. And so they say, well, we're children of Abraham. And uh, it, it isn't true that they were unless they were of faith, the faith that Abraham had. Uh, Deuteronomy 30, verse 6. Let's go there. Deuteronomy 30. Verse number six. And the Lord, this is in the Old Testament. This is Moses talking. And the Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your descendants to love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul that you may live. And also your Lord, the Lord your God will put these curses on your enemies and on those who hate you and who persecute you. And you notice some um, that comes right from the Abrahamic covenant too, does it not? You know, it also really becomes a big thing in the Mosaic covenant. You know, but I'll bless them that bless you, I'll curse them that curse you. And here it's picked up again. As we're talking about um, Deuteronomy 30, verse 6, the Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your offspring. Now, offspring talks of generations, doesn't talk about individual people. And I think that's important to note. Um, and it isn't necessarily your own particular children. We'll see this again. If you're a Christian, you don't have a promise and guarantee that your children will be saved. You need to work hard. You need to teach them. You need to bring them to church. You need to teach them the Bible and, and tell them the ways of truth. You need to properly discipline them. There's a lot of things you need to do, okay, to point them in the right direction for sure. But ultimately, it's going to be up to God, whether he saves them or not. Acts 2.39, a verse that gets misused so often. This is the Apostle Peter talking to, and, and get this, it's important that we know his audience. His audience is a Jewish crowd. They're there for, for um, the feast. They're there for... For, the, for Pentecost, one of the feasts. And um, they've come to Jerusalem, and he's preaching to them. And um, 
you know, he brings Jesus Christ to the, after talking about their history and all the great things, and of course they wanted to hear that. That's what they loved. They loved hearing about their history, they loved hearing of their heritage, and uh, their heritage was a great heritage, you know, and they had the promises of the covenant and such like that. But uh, then in verse 38, Peter says to them, Repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit and uh, the promise. And there we go. Here's a promise. For the promise is to you and to your children. And that's where people like to stop. <coughs> Promises to me and my children. So I'm going to have my children baptized because, you know, my infant's going to be baptized because of my faith. Because the promise is to me and to my children. Oh, that's what happens when you don't keep reading. That's what happens when you... Okay, so let's look at it. For the promise is to you and to your children and to all who are far off. Everybody? <laughs> yeah, well, we'll talk about that in a second. As many as the Lord our God will call. That's a qualification to this. Okay? And so the promise is to you. He's preaching the gospel to them. This is your promise. Repent and believe. Be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Okay. Okay. And 3,000 of them did that day. 3,000 did. And that was great. Promise it to you. It's to your children. Well, wait a minute. How about those that didn't believe that day? And there were many. There were more than 3,000 gathered there. Okay. But when the Bible talks like this, it's not talking about Okay, the promise is to you and to your individual child. I'm talking about generations to come. The promise is to you. It's to generations to come. It's to all who are far off. Peter's probably thinking about the Hellenists that were scattered throughout um, the Mediterranean, Jews that had imbibed and lived in, in uh, Greek culture. The promise is to them. He was saying more than he probably meant because he'd find out later it's the Gentiles too. You know, not just Jews, and not just Hellenists, but Gentiles also. The promise is to them. So it goes, it's, a, it's to you, it continues on, it's to everyone, we can actually say. And then the qualification, as many as the Lord our God will call. And then there's something, in an evangelistic message, Peter actually brings in election, brings in effectual calling, you know. Yeah. I don't think that's surprising, you know. And then, um, one more thing. And I'll have to read it fast. We've got two minutes. <laughs> Jeremiah 31, 31 through 34, which is the keystone verse in the Old Testament. There's many others, but this is the keystone verse that Jeremiah brings to us through the inspiration of the Lord. Jeremiah 31, 31. Uh, that's this the thing to remember. Just remember Jeremiah 31, 31. And uh, you'll always be able to find this. Okay, Jeremiah 31, 31. That's easy to remember. I'll read it to you. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I'll make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah, not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant that they broke, although I was a husband to them, declares the Lord, for this is the covenant that I'll make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. And here it is. I'll put my law within them, and I'll write it on their hearts. I'll be their God, and they shall be my people. 
That's covenant language right there. No longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they all will know me, from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I'll forgive their iniquity, and I'll remember their sins no more. And that's the promise of salvation. That's the promise that comes through the new covenant. It's a promise that's true for everyone who believes. You know, got to believe. You know, and of course, the wonder of it all is that if you believe, it's because God touched your heart to cause you to believe. So he does it all in the new covenant. You know, it's not a covenant of works by any stretch of the imagination at all. Okay, well, let me close in prayer. We need to get our children, we need to get ready for the 11 o'clock service. Father, we thank you for your love, your grace, and your mercy. We thank you uh, for the truths that we were able to see this morning. We had them shoveled at us quite quickly, but, but many of them we know. It's just a matter of organizing them in our thoughts and and understanding them in the way that you reveal them in your scriptures. So help us, we pray, to be the people of faith, to be those that truly are children of Abraham, to be those that truly do know you, that believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, who is actually the ultimate end of all of these covenants, Father, and to see him bring in the new covenant Bring in peoples of every nation and all around the throne, worshiping and glorifying you and being in the eternal state together. Father, what a wonderful plan you've had. What a wonderful plan you've brought to fruition. What a wonderful plan you will complete. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.